Welcome to the Fourth Node Podcast. Uh, today we had a great episode with Jeremy Andres. Uh, we took a bit of a turn. We're, we're moving a little bit away from SaaS, grabbing some consumer experience because as we talked about during the podcast, there's a ton of momentum around consumer. Jeremy is the obvious one to go to, having been so integral in building Skull Candy and obviously Traeger. Um, so it was a great discussion. I think it's it's going to kind of kick us off into uh, a, a new uh, ability to to talk about a different line of business than we've kind of talked about in Utah. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about you know the early tech companies in the seventies and eighties. I think Skull Candy is the equivalent of to, you know what WordPerfect and Novell did. I think Skull Candy was kind of that for Utah on the consumer side. So having the conversation, it felt like the consumer side of business in Utah is probably two decades behind tech, which again, probably goes to why we're so good at tech. We've been doing it a, lot, a long time, but it's starting to pick up momentum. He mentioned a bunch of brands that are doing really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of, and a lot of them, there's now some playbooks from Skull Candy, from you know, Traeger from Cotopaxi. There's there's playbooks developing. There's talent being creative that new consumer brands can yep. start to draw from. Yeah, I, that was actually the most interesting thing to me during the conversation is as we talked about various stages and, and things that each company did, I actually started seeing the parallels to existing brands right now. And even if it's not the most apparent thing, I actually think that uh, he and, and the, the crews at Skull Candy and Traeger have pioneered a ton that's being reutilized here in the state of Utah, which is pretty fun. Yeah. And he was super transparent about some successes some failures. Um, Maybe the most honest conversation yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. And really kind of just tapping into the inner workings of his brains and emotions over, over the course of his career. And it was, it was really, really one of my favorite discussions we've had. Same. Well, should we hop in? Let's, let's do it. All right, let's go. Okay. Well, Excited to uh, have our guest on today, Jeremy, longtime friend and longtime season ticket sharer of mine for Utah Jazz Games, Jeremy Andrus. Good to be here. We're excited to have you. I need more jazz tickets on the front row. (laughs) Yeah, yes. That's why I came down today. (laughs) We'll hook it up for sure, for sure. Um, So, Jeremy, you've you've been in Utah for a long time. I think everybody knows who you are, but maybe just what we start with is give us a bit of your background. I don't think you're from Utah. I'm not. But uh, tell us how you got here. You, you know, I uh, grew up all over the world, um, Midwest to Europe and East Coast turned West Coast. And uh, I got here because I was working a job in San Francisco and I was bored out of my mind. Uh, it was it was post-business school. Um, you know, I was gainfully employed, paying off my business school debt. $700 a month over 30 years. It's, it's, it's like a mortgage. It was yeah. insane. A mortgage to Harvard. Yes. Yeah. A mortgage to Harvard. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I got a year and a half in and I was just feeling uninspired mm. and I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, but somehow I ended up in this very stable sort of slow growth. It's like an interesting consumer brand that I actually really, I, what, what was the job? It was Kimpton hotels and restaurants, okay. which, which mm. is, uh, they're, they're highly sort of branded individual boutique hotels. Yeah. And so I loved the product as a consumer. I got on the inside and I just said, just, it was, just wasn't interesting. It wasn't inspiring. And so uh, I came out to uh, Park City, Utah for uh, the first anniversary sushi party of Skull Candy, which was at the time, it was like three or four guys, half a million bucks in sales. And um, I'm going to make you feel really old. This was like 20 years ago, right? Uh, it was not quite that. <laughs> uh, nah, 20 Pretty years close. ago, like next, next, next quarter. Yes. <laughs> Why did you have to There's say time. that? There's time. It was that long ago. Oh my gosh. Uh, and, and I came out with my then girlfriend, uh, now wife. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just said, let's, let's go right. Let's go snowboard for the weekend. Uh, we'll hit this. We'll hit this party, which is a very small party. Uh, but I remember showing up and saying, this vibe is awesome. I mean, like there's a guy making sushi and you see the DJ out the window mm-hmm. of this like very old, not so, uh, not, not so pleasant office building. But we la- I, we laughed and I just said, Kristen, there's a really nice vibe to that place. And I didn't walk into my, my office in San Francisco and, and feel like there was a vibe. Mm. And uh, two weeks later, I found myself uh, driving my Ford Explorer left left my business school of furniture in my apartment in San Francisco. 
uh, and I started driving to Utah. And um, the uh, the founder of Skull Candy, Rick Alden, mm-hmm. um, who I could I could tell lots and lots of stories. <laughs> like I learned so much from him about entrepreneurship. We'll leave it mm-hmm. at that. And uh, he didn't know, so he was he he had tried to recruit me, and he didn't know that. I had already left. I had quit my job <laughs> and I was driving out and I'm negotiating all the way. And I didn't want to say, hey, I'm already coming. <laughs> oh, you were driving without a job. I was driving. Oh, wow. Well, no, he was happy to have me. I was driving without a deal. <laughs> without a deal. Got <laughs> and, it. Okay. Uh, and, and, and I showed up and, um, you know, uh, cra- crazy, crazy eight years. And, and, and actually, I didn't finish that deal with Rick. Uh, it was an equity deal. And, and it was just a handshake deal for a long mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And I finished it the week before I got married. When I finally, 18 months later almost, I sat in his office and I said, hey, look, I've been working on this for a long time. I'm getting married and I'm not coming back. He's like, what do you mean? You're like, you got to come back. It's like, unless you, unless you sign this, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not coming back. And uh, I'm quite convinced I never would have had a deal had I had I, had I uh, <laughs> sit handshake forever. Yeah, and by and by the way, uh, I, I didn't know if I came back if Skull Candy would be in business. I I, I remember uh, being in this uh, in the jungle of of Bali in Ubud uh, on my honeymoon, and like I said, I was going to disconnect from work, but I kept finding this like there were there was no cell phone, like there was no iPhone then to mm-hmm. check my email. So I remember sneaking away to find. Uh, a business center with, and, and to check my email to see Skull Candy was still in business. <laughs> like every day it was, and <laughs> I came funny. back and it's still in business, but barely. Yeah, That's yeah. Funny. Um, I mentioned to, I'd love to hear more about those early days of Skull Candy and how you guys got started. You know, the origin of this podcast is mostly around tech and, you know, entrepreneurs like me, I started 20 years ago. That's why I knew it was about 20 years ago. I had all these tech companies to lean on who'd been developing talent and kind of yeah. b- building patterns that I could kind of follow for a couple decades. I think Franklin Covey is the only Utah consumer business and they yeah. were still kind of B2B. So you guys really were the first, which is why I'm, I've been super interested to get you on the, on the podcast is you guys really were the first direct to consumer, build a brand, cool brand, be different. You guys were super edgy. I'd love to just yeah. hear kind of, Maybe just tell the story of Skull Candy. There's yeah. probably a lot of people who don't really know a lot of how that company started. You, you know, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, there are a couple of entrepreneurs that that whom I admired. Uh, you know, one I remember watching. It tried to recruit me uh, to do door to door sales when I was at BYU. Todd Peterson, mm-hmm. and you know, you know, I looked at uh, Todd and a couple of other entrepreneurs, and it's, it's what I'd always wanted to do. And if I went back to my earliest days, although I couldn't say the word entrepreneur. I was an entrepreneur. Like you look at how I thought and what I did. And then I showed up to, to Utah and uh, we were pioneering. I mean, like there, there was no talent in consumer products here. Mm-hmm. And um, we sort of had it figured out. And it's interesting to look back. You always believe you're going to succeed. Like mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, you wouldn't go into it otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I look back at, you know, the 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 odds were definitely not on on our side. I mean, like consumer electronics, I later learned is a miserable category to be in. <laughs> and we're actually, initially we weren't a headphone business when I partnered with Rick. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, no, we, we were integrating um, uh, technology into snowboard helmets. So we, oh, we were a component provider. We were building a wearable electron, uh, electronics business. So Giro helmets, we would sell them mm-hmm. speakers and we had this really this really fancy technology. So we we had IP on this thing called Link. And Link was a pair of headphones with two plugs, a three and a half mil plug that went to your um, Sony Walkman or or maybe your MP3 player. Yeah. See, it is many years ago. <laughs> <It's awesome. laughs> there's there's yeah. listeners who don't even know what an MP3 is. No, and, and, I, and I will tell you, like one of the things that, that, that attracted me to Skull Candy was riding the bus to the financial district in San Francisco and seeing like a white cable. And then they mm-hmm. were multiplying. I said like, this whole iPod thing is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you could plug in your music player and then you could plug into your mobile phone and you could switch. So you could be writing and switch back and forth. You could listen to music on a conference call. They don't know it. And oh, that, so one speaker's in one ear with your 
phone they, and the other's music or something? No, you can hear music over the phone call. Oh, okay. You can toggle back and forth. Got like, it. you can just, like, you, you don't have to, you know, take your helmet off, take a phone call. It was, it's, like, funny for me to look back. And, like, <laughs> but it was optimized for skiing, right? It, it was all about snowboarding. Uh, but but then we took that concept and we started to build it in other things. So we built we built a back a, a backpack with a, a battery powered uh, speaker system, and and there were there were speakers in the straps. And we built sneaker bags and jackets with speakers. And you know wearable electronics never really took off just because like how consumers consume media uh, changed so much. Mm-hmm. But it was. Uh, but what, what we realized pretty early on is that there was something about the brand that really appealed to people. So we, we didn't just sell the components. On the back of a Jiro helmet, it, it said powered by Skull Candy. Okay. And uh, then we made our first headphone, and that's when we said, this is the business we're in. Okay. And we kept doing the wearable electronics. We made a headphone called the Skull Crusher, and it had uh, it, it, a battery-powered subwoofer. And so— had these big subs, so I had four speakers. This is very tactile, tactile experience. Hmm. And when you turned on hip hop, I mean, like you, you bled Felt bass. It. Like your your eyeballs are just. Like, <laughs> like, it was an incredible experience. Like not the, not the greatest, highest quality music, <laughs> but that's not what a fourteen year old kid skateboarding was looking for. And so, yeah. you know, it, it was a start. We were able to raise eight hundred thousand dollars. And we raised like twenty five, fifty thousand dollars at a time from like the angels or a VC who angels. Who that? Uh, me, my dad, my brother, Greg okay. Warnock, uh, Warnock put one hundred fifty okay. grand in, and like we just like dribs and drabs. It took us six months to raise it, and we built the business on eight hundred thousand dollars. Were they skeptical? Was a guy like Warnock like, "Hey, consumer sucks. I'm just doing this because I you like know you." Because I mean, it, back then that was a tough bet too, right? You know, it was a tough bet, and and I didn't really understand as I, we sat with so many investors, and they just said, "Ooh, consumer electronics is a miserable category." I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> now I later I later I later learned why, but at the time we we weren't really a consumer electronic. I mean, we we made our money integrating into lifestyle gear and, yeah. and we didn't sell into Best Buy. We sold into, you know, Salty Peaks and, 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 and yeah. places like this. So we sold in, this, in, in the skate and snow shops and it was a very good, very high margin business. And so I, we came to understand why their, their, their characteristics of the category, they're just really, really hard. But Greg, Greg Warnock was doing, um, you know, a lot of smaller deals and, and, he, and he liked to back young entrepreneurs mm-hmm. and, you know, it was, it was probably a small check for him and, and it turned out to be a massive outcome. Mm. Cool. It's interesting. Looking back to you, I feel like you guys kind of created influencer marketing, at least here in the state originally. Like I, I remember you guys had deals with uh, Snoop Dogg and a bunch of yeah. like, skaters and snowboarders. And like, you're taking me back to my like high school days because I was a very big consumer of school candy. And then did, was there a deal with like Jay-Z or something like that? Am I remembering we, yeah, that? We right? did uh, <clears throat> with Rock Nation. We, oh, we did a deal with Rock Nation. Okay. Had, uh, Jay, Jay-Z, uh, Rihanna, Beyonce were all, were all in the label. Yeah. And, uh, but, but Snoop was one of our, Snoop was one of our early guys. Mm-hmm. And, and he's kind of become this like just pop culture celebrity. Yeah. And like yeah. he's super. But at the time, he was slightly on the back end of his hip hop career. Otherwise, mm-hmm. he wouldn't have talked to us. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I remember meeting him for the first time and sitting in his studio as like, I'm trying to clear the air. (laughs) I mean, it was like, Uh, by the way, this was not, I just, I hadn't really been around that much. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it was a unique experience and uh, like one of the best moments of my life. And, and, you know, I was kind of an an introverted uh, study nerd uh, Play, tennis player growing up and I remember walking into a trade show we were sitting outside waiting for Snoop who showed up an hour late and there was like 3,000 people around our booth at, at, at a snow show in Vegas and I walked in right behind Snoop and everyone's like yeah <laughs> and it's like I knew it wasn't for me but boy did it, it feel good. good so influencer marketing uh you know like no one referred to it as an influencer marketing yeah. then but 
we, we never really had two nickels to rub together. I mean, yeah. like for a couple of years, you know, on a daily basis, I would look at our checking account. It's like, we're up 500 <clears throat> or, or we're in the whole five, like we're negative yeah. five, we're overdrawn 500. And so we had to find very resourceful ways to market. Uh, we never, like never once bought advertising. Like we just didn't buy media. Uh, we, we, we connected with consumers who had an audience. There was no social media. But they had an audience, and, mm. and they communicated different ways through through editorial, you know, in in trans world snow and, yep. and, and and magazines like that. So <clears throat> it was an opportunity to gain credibility at a very low cost. How did you how did you um, afford to do deals with all? I mean, those are big names, and um, I mean, other than like Nike and Gatorade and McDonald's with Michael Jordan, like deals of that type were not super well known. Like right now, an influencer would know exactly what to charge you to do a deal with them. But back then, were you giving them equity? Were you giving them cash? Was it like royalties? You, you know what? Uh, no, we found people love, love what we're doing. I mean, like we found Snoop mm. because someone sent us a, a, a copy of Hip Hop Weekly and Snoop's walking through an airport on the front wearing skull crushers. And like oh. somebody like, who knows how to call Snoop? <laughs> and uh, no, we we tended to find people. We We were so early... In, in, in doing something disruptive in the category that we had a lot of artists and musicians and athletes reaching out to us hmm. and we just send them boxes of product. And, um, you know, we almost never paid influencers. And again, we didn't call them influencers. They were just happy to be a part yeah. of it. And I would say later on, we did a little bit, but even we built our NBA team and Clark, Clark Miyazaki did an incredible job of bringing on you know, athletes, uh, mm. Kevin Durant, Derek Rose. Uh, I mean, like bringing on athletes and paying them like $25,000 a year and we float in product. Yeah. And, yeah. and the category changed and then Beats came in. But uh, we were early enough that we were just able to develop sort of authentic relationships with people that value the brand. And, mm. and that got us going. Tell us about how the company scaled. Because you eventually went public, which was Miserable. Rocky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about kind of that growth phase. You know what? Uh, it, it, it's interesting because um, in, in, in the world of, of, of brands, you can do all of the things right, but you don't, you don't really control how they grow. Mm. Uh, and so I, I think there's, you know, there, there's art and, and then there's formula and, and you can do it perfectly. And, and sometimes they take off and sometimes they don't. And the first couple of years, we didn't grow very fast mm -hmm. and we worked so hard and we were so poor. Um, but then it just started taking off. I mean, suddenly people like Snoop start wearing it. And, you know, um, there, there was this guy named Supernatural who's, uh, oh, yeah. he's, he's a, he's a freestyler. Yeah. And we got to know him. We went and we brought him out to event and he, he can just like, he can rhyme. He set the Guinness Book of World Records for rhyming. He like <laughs> he he freestyled for like twelve hours straight, <laughs> and so and and so we just had like these really like we we made these interesting friends, and and suddenly when it started to go, it 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 went and it was mm. it, it was slow, but then it was fast and furious. Yeah, and you know it, and it, it's interesting because I had no idea what I was doing. Like I didn't admit it then. It was very clear to me at the time. It's more, <laughs> it's, it's, more, it's more clear to me looking back. It wasn't imposter syndrome. You knew. You knew. Oh, I knew. I, I, knew, I, knew. I know I'm an imposter. Yeah. Do, you know, I, no, I knew. <laughs> I've been there. And, and, and I, 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 I was this mix of like confidence and fake, fake it till you make it. And, uh, you know, and it's interesting in my career. And like, I, I, uh, I'll digress a second. I look back 12 months and ask myself, how did I do it with what I knew then? Yeah. And. It's the, to me, it's the best part of a career. It's like, what can you, when you actually like you get pushed to your limit and you learn how to, you learn how to grow mm -hmm. and like, whether it's like strategy or like personal, uh, me mental, mental strength, mental health, uh, leadership, all these things to me are like, have become the most exciting things in a career at the time. I just wanted to be successful and I wanted to make money. Mm -hmm. And that came really slowly for a while. But when it took off, what I realized was we went from just take, like we would take a ton of risk because we really had nothing to risk. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly it's like, 
this is pretty cool. Let's not screw it up. Yeah. And and we had we had a good run. And and I really, you know, for eight years, it was just like such a rapid pace that it was hard to really digest what I was learning because it was just coming at me so fast. And, and then we took it public. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know at the time that that was just a stupid thing to do. I'm like, this business was... What year did you go public? We went public in 2011. Okay. 2011. And, and actually, I remember and our, our bankers are freaking out. So I, I was going to Afghanistan with Snoop in... <laughs> Uh, on on the fourth of July of two thousand eleven. It's like a sentence I never thought I'd hear. <laughs> no, you know what? Like <laughs> Afghanistan. It, it, so they 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 were having a hard time getting troops to reenlist. Okay. And so General, we we were going with General Petraeus, and we sold oh, a lot wow. downrange in the military. And so we were going to throw parties, and 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 we were going until Snoop Snoop's people called our people, and our people's me <laughs> 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 called and said, Hey, we just, Snoop just wants to make sure that he can, he can take his stuff downrange. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what stuff are you talking about? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, let me ask. And so I reached out and they're like, absolutely not. You're like, <laughs> you can't take, you can't take illegal drugs onto a base in Afghanistan, <laughs> to a NATO base. <laughs> and so, uh, so I went alone. Mm. And uh, I was there and I flew straight from Afghanistan to New York and we took we took the business public and uh, everyone was happy. I showed up uh, alive (laughs) and uh, it was an incredible experience. Like it was an incredible experience. And the next 24 months really sucked. And, um, you know, I wasn't opposed to taking the business public um, because it's just something as an entrepreneur, like it feels like. It feels like a notch in your belt. Mm-hmm. And then you realize it's not that hard to take a business public. I mean, a thousand of them did in 2021. Yeah. And if you're not ready and your business isn't built for it and you're not built for it and your team's not built for it, it's actually really, it's actually a really painful thing because it's expensive to be public. And, you know, I went from my, my, my experience at Skull Candy was always hard. I mean, like I look back. Yeah. And I have some really, really, I have some amazing friends that I like some terrific friends that I made there, but a lot of PTSD from the experience. I mean, it, it was painful. Yeah. And I really realized because I was so committed to grinding through the pain and succeeding. But I, I look back and realize it was miserable almost every single day. Mm. And they're like, there are moments of excitement, you know, going heli skiing with some people and, you know, <clears throat> Snoop showing up, but like there, there were moments of excitement, but for the most part, it was grinding and it was painful and it was, and I wasn't ready for it. And so, um, then we took a public and then it got worse. And then <laughs> it's like within six months, we were the highest shorted stock on the NASDAQ. How, how much revenue did you have, have when you, uh, we, we went public doing $140 million okay. of revenue and about 20 million of EBITDA. Okay. And, and we doubled the business. It, uh, when I left, it was about 300 of revenue, about 50 of EBITDA. Okay. And uh, six months from going public, it's like this, this shiny moment that everyone's so excited about. And then we're the highest shorted stock on the NASDAQ. And it just means like of the 4,000 other companies, people are betting on you to fail the most. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, a, that was a hard experience. And I didn't know what to do. And by the way, I look back and say, I, I, I am, I'm a better, I was not a very good CEO then. Um, I thought I was doing okay. And I look back and realize I just didn't have experience and I didn't, I didn't have pattern recognition. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was sort of thrown into it uh, faster than I was ready. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I look back and say, I've learned so much since then, but I don't know how I would have run Skull Candy successfully as a public company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we, we, we were an accessory that, that attached to a device that we didn't control mm-hmm. that, you know, it's suddenly it's like you have to qualify to connect to an iPhone and you've got to pay royalties to have a chipset in your and you're dependent on all these. You're very dependent. And, and we're selling to 14 to 24 year old irreverent males. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like so you, you take this whole thing, you say, whoa, how big's the TAM? Not very big. And so it was, it was, a. I I think we built a good brand Mm. and I think being public 
was it was terrible experience, but it also, you know, being public can motivate some short sightedness in terms of how you invest in and run a business. Interesting. And um, you know, I look back and realize that, you know, you think if you make some short term decisions that you will, I, I'll, I'll say you, that you'll be accepted in Wall Street. Like mm-hmm. suddenly, it's like, and you do it four quarters in a row. And then you have to start the anniversary bad decisions mm-hmm. or you eventually just have to come clean and be honest about that. Hey, yeah. the underlying engine, it's not as healthy as, mm-hmm. as you know, it, as yeah. you know, it's not and yeah. actually. And so uh, awesome lessons, incredible lessons. I would not trade that experience. Uh, but the day I walked out of Skull Candy was a, it was a great day. And yeah. honestly, if you'd asked me the day before, I would have said it would be devastating. I put I put my heart and soul into it. It was great. Yeah. I mean, like I walked, I, I was a cold February day. I walked outside, sun is shining. It's, <laughs> and it's like the heavens opened and I never looked back. I, I, I went, I remember going back in the business a year later and just like having to catch my breath because I didn't feel good. Yeah. yeah. And so I look back with like incredible, incredible gratitude for the opportunity. Uh, I learned so much from Rick Alden as an entrepreneur, what to do and what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I just look back with a lot of gratitude on the experience and realize that, you know what? Adversity, it can be a terrible thing uh, in the moment, but uh, it's what makes you. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's cool to, for me to think back to just the height of the powers that Skull Candy was at. Exactly. You were so young. I remember just thinking like, man, Jeremy, you were, 30s, run a public company. Just 30s looking like I was 15. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I remember going to lunch after you left school candy at Tsunami. This was probably 10 or so years ago. Mm-hmm. And I want to kind of dig into this. You said, hey, I'm a widget guy, so I'm going to find my next widget thing. Yeah. And I don't remember how long it took for you to get to Traeger, but tell us kind of months. <laughs> What was your process of figuring out, I'm a widget guy, I need to go find yeah. another widget thing, and just how, how you found Traeger and what that transition looked like? Yeah, you know, so, so when, when I left, uh, I, I, it was the best 11 months of my life. It, it, it really was. It really was incredible, partly because, you know, when I, when, I, when I joined Rick, I was a single guy living in my parents' basement. And then I got married and started having kids. And, you know, I just like, I, I was not... I was not home. I was mm-hmm. traveling around the world 200 days a year. And, uh, you know, in, 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 I remember my Kristen and, and our two daughters at the time were driving past McDonald's in Park City. And the Skull Candy office was just down the road. And Audrey, at like five years old, says, hey, mom, that's where, that, look, that's where daddy lives. <laughs> and she told me that. Now, she says she said it. That could, I believe she did. <laughs> and uh, I, I laughed and I said, uh, there are a few things I need to do before I find what's next. Yeah. Uh, number one, I've got to get back in shape, like physically, mentally, emotionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I need to learn from, the, from this experience. I spent a lot of time thinking and writing because yeah. I hadn't processed the lessons as they were coming at me. Um, and, uh, it just, I spent time with my family and, and, and it was incredible. Like there were some experiences that I just had an experience. I was a, I was a dad and an entrepreneur and, um, and, and so it was, it was a moment to step back and also think about, you know, we had, we had done well enough financially that we could have done anything like to put food on the table. We didn't need to, didn't need to go back in business. And so I looked at a lot of different things actually. Yeah. Like I took a very very broad point of view on is it nonprofit? Is it service oriented? Like could have been a lot of things. I remember spending, you know, a couple of weeks back, back in Boston, spent a lot of time at MIT Media Lab looking for technologies that could be commercialized. And what I eventually decided was um, it, it was going to, it was a couple of things. Number one, it made me really step back and think about my why. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I had so much desperation to succeed the first time that I, I didn't have desperation anymore, but I had to figure out what is my driver now? And there were a few things that, that really resonated with me. One, 
I did find my love in building consumer products businesses. Like I love product. I love durables. I love innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, I love the integration of, of technology that, that allows for disruption. Um, I love lifestyle branding. So, so I, I love the business side of it. Yeah. I also realized that um, I always wanted to be, I always wanted to be a good CEO. And I look back and said, I just wasn't like, I didn't accomplish that objective. So I wanted, I definitely wanted to figure out how to be a better leader. And that sort of evolved. And I, I remember when Chris and I were, uh, we, were we were back in my uh, 10th business school reunion and Clayton Christensen spoke. And he, he was a professor there and he became a friend afterward because I admired him so much. And I, I'm in this Burn Auditorium, 1,200 graduates from like 10, 20, 30. And you've mm -hmm. got like 90, like three 90-year-olds still mm -hmm. there. And he's talking about this book that he just published, How Will I Measure My Life? Mm -hmm. And it was not what you would expect at a Harvard Business School reunion. And uh, there were no dry eyes in the place. I mean, like, and you realize you get years beyond where you start. And people's lives have just gone different direction. I mean, like yeah. at the starting point, everyone's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and like we're excited, and life's gonna be great. And you, and 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 he's speaking to this group that's experienced a lot along the way. And I remember reading the book and and reading him talk about, or, or, or read, hearing him talk about this notion that that being a leader in business is noble, not because you you, you meet, you meet payroll. Mm -hmm. Like that's just like the most basic thing, but if you do it well, and if your why is right, that people really can, can, you can be profoundly impacted by you as a leader. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, um, and, and that, that's, that, that really struck me. You know, he talks about people, people, not just developing professional skills, but, going home and being better human beings, better fathers, mothers, husbands, wives, community members. So and this I said- this happened during the 11th month, 11 months? It, it, it's during 11 months. Okay. I, I read the book. Perfect, perfect timing. And it, it took a few years to, for me to really internalize that because I was also sort of licking my wounds from the prior experience sure. and figuring yeah. out like how, to, like, how do I do this better? But it happened and uh, yeah, I, I realized I could actually- have it all. I could build a business. I could do something of worth and I could prioritize my family. And I didn't do that the first, like the eight years at Skull Candy. So it was a very informative moment. And, and, and I realized looking back that I have the ability to not wait for like 10 year chunks of time. Like when things go too fast, mm. you got to slow it down yeah. and, and learn and learn as opposed to saying, I'm burned out, what I learned from the last eight years. Mm -hmm. And so it was an amazing 11 months in the, in, in that, those 11 months plus eight years at Skull Candy were true, like it was the blueprint for, well, it's been 10 years now, it was a blueprint for the last 10 years. Yeah. Not just the building a business, there was a lot of pattern recognition there, but of like, of life, like figuring out how do I not do it all, but how do I decide what do I care about? Uh, what are the trade-offs I'm willing to make? And what are those that I'm not willing to make because I understand what the, what the repercussions are. Mm. So how did you land on that next thing? During those 11 months, you take in kind of this uh, soul-searching yeah. process. How do, you, how do you land where you land? You know what? Uh, I looked at 100 different things, and Traeger was like the furthest thing from what I was looking for. <laughs> and uh, so I got, a, I got a call from a private equity fund I knew well called Trilantic, huh? uh, $3 billion fund back in New York, and they tried to acquire Skull Candy a couple of times. And so they reached out and said, hey, we've, we found this, this business in Oregon called Traeger. Like, never heard of them. Mm -hmm. What is it? They do wood pellet grills. Never heard of those. Tell me more about it. <laughs> and I, I remember listening to this pitch and, and I was like four or five months in, I wasn't feeling tremendous energy to get started. And I wanted to get it right. And I said, awesome. That sounds great. I'm not interested, but let's keep talking. Um, and then four or five months later, they called me again and said, we really like this business. Um, what do you think about uh, investing with us and coming to run it? I said, 
let me let me take a couple of days to understand it more. So I went up to Oregon and I had this like just this incredible experience sitting with consumers in the most drab conference room you've ever seen in your life in <laughs> Wilsonville, Oregon. And I'd set up uh, a dozen interviews with consumers and like I was 10 minutes into my first one when I realized there's something really special here. And I also had this uh, this recognition looking at Skull Candy that we got really lucky. I mean, did we do some things right? Absolutely. But you shouldn't be able to build a $300 million business off of $800,000 mm, plus like incredible. debt financing. We got really lucky. I mean, it was the right product at the right time. We built it the right way, but it very well may have failed. And so I had an appreciation for you know, in the world of consumer, there, there's, there's a little bit of magic sprinkled on top of mm. brands that, that, you know, Nike can spend a ton of money incubating and not, not get right. And so what I heard sort of blew my mind. And it was this Pacific Northwest brand. And I said, if we can scale the magic that I'm sensing here, then there's something there, yeah. then there's something special. Mm-hmm. And that, that was, that was a hypothesis. And, you know, it, it, it's interesting, uh, a few months later, you know, we'd written an uncomfortably large check for this business, and uh, it turned out to be just a freaking disaster. I mean, like it was Traeger for operationally uh, everything. Everything. <laughs> like, no, I, I was, I was, I was twenty four hours into this business, and they wouldn't have given me my money back, and I realized <laughs> it was broken. Was that like, quick? Was that quick? Like the the the, mag- the magic was like the magic was real. Like the bones, like there was something special there, but it was tough. And uh, I partnered with uh, a majority partner uh, who was this incredibly successful entrepreneur. Uh, bought a bank when he was eighteen years old, and you know moved to Hollywood and uh, produced. Sophie's Choice and Terminator and all sorts of found a planet Hollywood, like really interesting wow. entrepreneur. Uh, and he, and he, he turned out to be uh, just a very aggressive, abusive human being. Mm. And, uh, and, and so it was, it was rough, went through a lot of rough moments, but, uh, but eventually we, we celebrate every year, uh, middle of June, something called Traeger Independence Day. And that that represents the day that that we became free from Keith Barish. <laughs> and, uh, and and by the way, I my my non disparagement agreement has has has, has expired. You're good. Keith. Okay, so we don't need to edit this out. Okay, perfect. No, no, but but, but I I will say Keith, uh, he put a chip on my shoulder when I got him out. It's like I was going to do it for Keith. Like I was going to show him how much money he left on the table. Mm. And one of the most disarming things of my life happened the, uh, the day that we went, the night, the night after we went public, like everyone, everyone had gone home and I stayed to do media interviews and, 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 and meet with investors. And I get back to my hotel room at like one in the morning. I can't sleep because I'm all amped up. I take an Ambien, which I usually do on international travel. And I start reading hundreds of like really fun, nice, kind messages. Mm. And I see one from Keith Barish. <laughs> and I, it's been years since we spoke and it ended very badly. Yeah. And he sent me the kindest note congratulating me. Mm. And I read it and I pinched myself. And it's like, if you've taken Ambien, sometimes it just... <laughs> Am it, I hallucinating it, here? It, it, really? it, it brings out these nice emotions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You know, and 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 yeah, you know, Kristen always knows. It's like, why why do you love me so much? <laughs> it's like, I just do. I just don't feel so it. good. <laughs> and uh, and I read it, and I'm like, okay, I don't think I feel it yet. And I responded. I sent him the best message back. I woke up in the morning in a panic because of that one message. <laughs> and I read it, and it was a very kind message. And my response back was very kind. Mm. Uh, but we we went through some really hard times early on. Yeah, and and I'll just say that. You know, if I were to sort of summarize, you know, the the now 10-year experience and, and, and really the journey as an entrepreneur, for as long as you are motivated to build something, you're never done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there there are there are definitely periods where, where where we could do no wrong. Like I mean, we had some really great years, and there are periods where we could do no right. 
And mm-hmm. like, interesting, like we, we, we built this, you, you know, we're, we're still early, you know, we're in three and a half percent of U.S. homes that, that own barbecues, but we got to 2022 and it was the hardest year of my career. Yeah. Uh, by, by far. And, and, you know, I step back and realize that I don't have, the, I don't have, I don't have the ability to not be stretched and be uncomfortable not, not ready to not have those growth opportunities, mm-hmm. but then you find yourself in the middle of them and you're like, what am I doing? This is painful and it's hard. And so Tra- Traeger's been this incredible journey of, you know, consumer products, like really trying to disrupt and trying to build something the right way. We did a lot right at Skull Candy, but there were things that I didn't do right as a leader and as a business and brand builder and it's been really refreshing to go through hard times and not make the same mistakes twice and mm-hmm. like figure out how do we do the right thing every day for our people, for our culture, for our brand? You know, how do we not sacrifice? How do we not cut corners in the moments where it would be really easy to? I mean, like when your stock has lost 90% of its value from IPO, yeah. you know, You'd, you'd really like to get the stock price up. And there are definitely short-term things you can do, mm-hmm. but you eventually have to pay the piper. So it's, it's, it's been a remarkable experience and, you know, it's been a roller coaster and hard and great and awesome, but, but yeah. it's been cool. Um, I mean, you're probably the most qualified to answer this question. You've built, I think, the two biggest consumer brands in Utah and have started, like I mentioned earlier, this wave of talent that tech guys like us have benefited from were perfect in Novell and Altiers, and they built talent. They built CFOs and CMOs. And I think you started to do that. You know, a bunch of school candy guys went and started Stance and a bunch of other consumer businesses here. What would you say, if you, you know, if you were to give a state of the union of consumer in Utah, where's it at? What's next? What does it need more of? You know, where does it go from here? You know, it's, uh, I love that there's some momentum behind consumer because you know, it's interesting to think about where technology came from. And so, some of the early stories, you know, before we were talking about WordPerfect and megahertz and then Omniture. And, and what happens is like people, people are part of these stories and they're inspired by the stories. And, you know, Utah's a very industrious place. And mm-hmm. I think pe- pe- people are motivated to then take what they learned and go build and, and a successful venture spawns 10 others. And so I, I think we're, we're certainly seeing that in, in Utah. It's, er, it's still earlier, but you look at a brand like Cotopaxi, which mm-hmm. is a phenomenal brand, uh, Goal Zero. Yep. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of these sort of earlier 10, 20, 30, $40 million consumer brands, uh, Clean Simple Eats, Rags, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, freshly picked, made by Mary. I mean, there's some incredible brands and they're, they're early, but, but they're real and they're authentic and they have mm-hmm. real consumer passion behind them. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's early and, and I don't think capital's quite found these brands in Utah. Mm-hmm. I think it takes a while for capital to figure out that there's an ecosystem that, that's worth investing. And so you got to get a little further before you find institutional. Yeah. Yep. Capital, but I but I think there's some really really interesting young brands. Kodiak Cakes, yep, I mean, like phenomenally successful, um, and and it's been it's been really satisfying to watch that. And, and I think there's something building here. I'll tell you the other thing I think is awesome. If you look at the, uh, if you think about the, the seven or eight brands that I just mentioned, most of them are women founded. Yeah, exactly. And and, and, and that's an area where I think. Uh, it's cool to see like some really successful women entrepreneurs and they're in, and they're building businesses partly because uh, women like in general have struggled to get venture funding. I mean, it's like, it's disproportionately uh, not, not been in fit and that it's, it's the odds have been stacked against them. And so they're building bootstrapped, really authentic brands. And I think resourcefulness and consumer, mm-hmm tends to bring out much more authenticity than being overfunded and sort of spending $2 to get amazing content and a dollar of sales. Yeah. yeah. I completely agree. I, I personally think if you look back at, you know, I'll, I'll 
talk school candy, then go Traeger. School candy, you did what you did on influencer marketing, whatever you want to call yep. it. It, no, was, it wasn't right. that at that point. You also did an amazing job with the product. It, the product itself was advertising because it was generally loud. They, yeah. they, it like just created a virality. We knew our consumer. Yeah. And, 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 and we built very differently than other headphone brands. Yeah. I, I think it was amazing. And then if you look at Traeger, you've created just this lifestyle. It's so funny to me. I see like my father-in-law or my dad like sending me recipes. And I'm like, I never thought in a million years they'd be so into like smoking a brisket. But you've done an incredible oh, job my creating right a lifestyle. <laughs> Truly. And, and then I think you look at all those brands you just mentioned. I think they're taking pages out of your book and saying, I don't need to go run crazy amounts of ads. I can be innovative on social media. I can figure out how to find other growth avenues that don't cost a ton of money. And I do think it's actually pretty unique to Utah. I think that's why you start seeing, you're starting to see so much momentum is they're being resourceful where everyone else is just spending money. I, I love it. No, I, I think that's right. And, and I will tell you as, as an entrepreneur who had no idea what he was doing and, and, and I'm, I'm such a, I'm an introvert. I'm a head down mm -hmm. grinder, figure it out. It took me a long time in, in some pretty tough periods of being an entrepreneur to figure out that there are mentors out there that who are, who want to, or are willing to help. And there's a lot of inspiration to be taken from, from others, what they're doing, how they're leading, how they're building. And they're, they're very willing to have, like, they're very flattered to have you do that. And so, um, you know, I, I, I think back to when I, when I discovered mentorship and I, and I found someone who just saved my, my career at Skull Candy some random guy cold called who was, you know, was, who was running Under Armour. And the guy came out and spent two and a half days with me mm -hmm. and became a mentor, an advisor, sits on my board today. And so you, you love it. I, again, I, I think, I think my, my, my why has changed a lot along the way. You know, it's no longer, I got to make another buck. I got to be successful. Mm -hmm. It's like passion for doing things for the right reasons. And one of those things is when you've been an entrepreneur who has felt pain and confusion, just like insecurity, you love it when someone reaches out whom you can help. Mm -hmm. Like people reach out of time. And sometimes it's like, I'm building this SaaS business for the, you know, for the mortuary. Like, I don't know anything about, like, yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't help you. Yeah. Um, I, I call me for moral support. But when someone reaches out, and I remember when Davis Smith called me, and, and Cotopaxi was a very young brand, and I was just like, Dave, Davis became a very close friend over time. Didn't know him well, but but I I I had gone through some tough times, and I wanted to help. Mm -hmm. And I spent six years on the board, uh, just watching this thing grow, and it's very satisfying from a legacy perspective you can only found and run like so many businesses mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you can't spend your money before you die. Uh, but you can have incredible satisfaction by seeing other people have that same experience that you had. By the way, the, the experience is never better than early on where you're teetering on the razor edge of like mm -hmm. going out of business. And uh, you love to watch someone go from there to like having this great confidence and doing great things yeah. and building great team and culture. I just think it's incredibly fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, I, you've been one of those guys for me. I feel like you've probably watched me grow up. You've been a guy. I always knew I could call, go to your office or go to lunch, even if it was like, hey, I'm just going to vent for an hour and you don't even need to say anything back to me. I bro. always love those conversations. I'm just going to say a bunch of stuff and I know it's going to stay here <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll go back to work. Um, so I appreciate you've had a big impact on my life. Thank you. you know, uh, maybe final question. We got to get you out of here on that same note. If you could call 20 year ago, Jeremy on that drive to Utah, hmm. what would you tell him? Oh my gosh. How much, how much time do you have? <laughs> you know what? Um, relax. Mm. Don't take this so seriously. Forget about the end point. Show up every day. Enjoy being on a team, work hard, create value, not for your own career, but, but to be part of a team, enjoy the ride. Um, I, I, I just took it, I took it too seriously. And I didn't enjoy a lot of my early career because I was so fixated on the end. 
Mm-hmm. And then you realize like the end is like 65 and retired and like my back hurts and stuff <laughs> like that. And so that that's that that would be number one. Uh second is like you've you've got to figure out your prioritization. Like I have I had to figure out like what 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 matters to me and how do I pick a how do I pick a limited number of things that I can do well that actually leave me happy at the end of each day and at the end of each 10-year experience. And it's so easy. Like I, I, it was so easy for me to sacrifice everything for a while until you realize, like, I arrived. Like I became a CEO, built a business, uh, got financial security, and I wasn't that happy. And that was an incredibly mm-hmm. powerful moment for me to say, there are certain things that I care about. I'm just not willing, like there's no willingness or interest to sacrifice him anymore, especially not for another dollar. Yeah. Interesting. Could you call 20 year ago, Adam and tell him those same things for me? <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> Adam, best time, best time plan three was 20 years ago. Second best time is today. There you go. There you go. Um, well, thanks, man. Thanks for what awesome. you do for this the community. Good to see you guys. Fun. You and Kristen do a ton of good. Um, and, uh, I know a lot of people really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. So thanks Thank for you. everything you do, man. We, we love to be part of the community. It's been a ton of fun. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thanks. thanks. All right, guys.